Thank you, Lord, that we can stand here this day and praise you for washing us white as snow right now. Washing us white as snow in your Son, the Lord Jesus, who hung on the tree for us. The Lord Jesus, whose blood, whose righteous blood was shed for our sakes. Oh, Lord, you paid it all. We owe everything to you, Lord. Even our knowledge of you, even our desire, our love for you, we owe to you, Father. We love you because you first loved us. Amen. Bless us now, Lord, for your son's sake as we go into your word this morning. Give us eyes and ears and a heart to hear the words of truth that we're about to look into. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we're in Romans again. <clears throat> this morning we're looking at chapter 3. This, is a, this will be our 10th study in the book of Romans. And I'm going to once again leave some scriptures for you to look at on your own. I'm sorry that I can't sit like some men and study in the depth that some men study, such as Don Fortner and Henry Mahan, Charles Spurgeon, many, many others that I can go on and lift. I'm just not that kind of person. I bring to you studies that I know personally. One of the most wisest things I've ever been told is, John, don't try to preach something you don't know. Amen. Just stand before the people and preach what you know, and God will do all the rest. Because it has to be of God or it's not of anything at all, because I've just got words of man. It has to be the word from God. The first part of Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, is that it are, object, are answers to the objections of those who know not God that are asked in, by the things that are stated in chapter 2. And this is from Henry Mahan here. In, chapter, in verses 9 through 19 are words from Paul to the Romans that prove that Jews and Gentiles are guilty of sin and cannot be justified by the law. The remaining verses, chapter 20 through 31, state the true and only way that justification by the righteousness and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's where we shall be this morning, verses 20 through 21. So look with me, if you would, at verse 20, Romans chapter 3, verse 20, and therefore... By the deeds of the law, and that means simply this, by, by exercising what you think is fulfilling the law, by the deeds of the law, there shall, be, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What do we mean by that? It means that all are without excuse. Folks, God's laws are written on the hearts of all mankind. Amen. 
We all came into this world knowing right from wrong. Adam and evil ate of the tree of good and or, uh, good and evil. We know what's wrong. That's why a child, when they lie, will turn. No, no, I didn't do that. Yes, you did. And I can say that because I was one of those children. I was one of those who would... The moment Dad said, don't stick your finger in that and turn his back, I'd stick my finger in it. Did you do that? Yeah, he's laughing knowing I did. No, I didn't do that. My finger burned halfway off. But no, that wasn't me. I know, for, I know from experience. Nobody had to tell me right from wrong. I knew what was right and what was wrong. All mankind are without excuse. They know good from evil, and that's why there's so many different religions. Everybody's out there looking for a way to justify what they've done wrong. Everybody. Oh, the wickedness that is in me. I need something. I'm going to preach on that at 11 o'clock hour. What is needful? The one thing that is most needful. We all are without excuse. None can open his mouth in his own defense or claim any righteousness of their own. But everyone must acknowledge guilt before God. Paul then proceeds to, to the conclusion that he is meant to draw from all of what he just said in the last chapter and a half. He proceeds to say there is no justification you cannot be just before God when sin is mixed in with everything that you do. You cannot be just before God by works or deeds of the law. That's what that's saying. The law reveals sin. It cannot, reveal, it cannot relieve sin. It is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. You say, how does that? How does the law act as a schoolmaster to you and I? Folks, the law is righteous. Did you hear me? The law is righteous. It's good. It's perfect. The law is righteousness. And it's perfection. If you break one part, according to the scriptures, if you break one part of the law, you broke the whole thing. If you haven't fulfilled all the part of God's law, then you have broke all the law, all the, all the parts of God's law, everything. We cannot keep the law, even in part, for all that we are is tainted with sin. Therefore, the law brings us to the one who has fulfilled the law perfectly, for he is for his chosen people. Knowing what the law is, and knowing that we can't fulfill it, and knowing that we can't even do one jot or one tittle of it, we know that we have to find something, find someone who has for us, don't we? We cannot justify ourselves before God. We need one who can. Amen. We'll get to that in just a moment. We're all tainted with sin, therefore the law brings us to the one who has fulfilled the law perfectly for his chosen people, those for whom he would shed his blood for. Look over at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and of the prophets. 
But now, it says, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Folks, I'm telling you here this morning, the righteousness of God is the most important expression ever said in scriptures. Our God is holy. Perfectly holy. You must be as righteous as he is. It's one of the most important expressions in scriptures. It signifies both the precept of the law and the penalty of it. The law is righteousness. The penalty of it is death. <clears throat> in other words, that the law, the holy law, and every jot and tittle must be honored. And where there is the least offense, where there is just the one little thing that is missing, justice must be satisfied. We're talking here of God's own personal holiness. But but of the righteousness that he has by his grace and it's provided for and imputed to guilty sinners through whom? Through his son. Turn over to Romans 10 if you would. We're in Romans 3. Turn over to chapter 10 for just a moment and we can see in verses 1 through 4, chapter 10, our Lord supplies our righteousness through his son. Look at verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul's talking about the very religious of the religious of that day. Those who thought they were fulfilling the law perfectly. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that what? What's that last word? Go ahead, Paul. You can say it. <laughs> believeth. Believeth whosoever believeth in me, he says in John 3.16. Whosoever believeth in me shall have eternal life. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness sake to everyone that believeth. Without the law, not without perfect obedience to the law, for this Christ, this is what Christ did. <clears throat> but without regard to the sinner's obedience of law. In other words, the law did that he he did this, he laid himself down, everyone who believes in Christ uh, belongs in him. It doesn't have anything to do with our obedience to the law. Now let me state one more thing to that. It doesn't have anything to do with our disobedience to the law either. Christ has fulfilled the law for us perfectly. Everything that is needed of God is provided in our Savior. Is it not? Folks, if there's one little thing that we think that we need to do, I know that some, some want to take the, the words of for by grace are you saved through faith. Oh, it's my faith. Yes, it is your faith. Absolutely it's your faith. But you wouldn't have that faith if it weren't for a gift of God. We'd all be walking in darkness right now exactly how we were before the Lord called us out of that darkness with the preaching of His Word. Christ fulfilled it for us. He reveals it to us. And Moses and all the prophets testified of this very righteousness. Let's look at... Isaiah 53, 11 for a minute. Hold your spot there in Romans. We'll come right back. Turn over to Isaiah 53. Did, did Isaiah preach 
of the righteousness of Christ. <clears throat> Look at verse 11. Isaiah 53, verse 11. And he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? Isaiah was preaching the righteousness of Christ just as all of God's. Did you know that Noah was a preacher of righteousness? That's what scriptures say. Noah was a preacher of righteousness over in the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. Let's look at that. Did Jeremiah preach the righteousness of Christ? Look at Jeremiah 23 for just a moment. Verses 5 and 6. Did Jeremiah preach the righteousness of Christ? Behold, it says in verse 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. He didn't say that he will make David a righteous branch. He will raise unto David. He will raise unto all of his people, even in the Old Testament, a righteous branch. And the king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be exalted, the Lord our righteousness. Woo! Isn't that good stuff? Now one more if you would. Turn over to Psalms. Go backwards if you would to Psalms for just a second. And look at verse uh, uh, Psalms 85. Psalms 85. Look at the last four verses of Psalms 85. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. The old prophet testaments preached that very same thing back in our text of Romans chapter 3. All the old prophets te testified of the very same righteousness that you and I do this day, and that is the righteousness of Christ. I have none of my own. I must needs him. In Romans chapter 3 verses 22 we read these words, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that, there's that word again, what's that word again, Polly? Believe, Believe it. <laughs> For there is no difference this perfect righteousness whereby we are sanctified, that means set apart, means made holy, that we are justified, that very same righteousness that we are justified by and received in God's presence as holy and without blame is not imputed to us on account of any work of our own. It's not because of what we have done. It's not because we show up on Sunday morning for services. It's not because we look into the Bible and read it for an hour every day. No, no, it's because of Him. It's no works of our own, but is received by, what does it say there? By faith. Faith is not a part of that righteousness, but it is through faith that it is received. What are we saved? By grace are we saved through faith. 
And then God gives us that faith to believe on him. Whosoever, who are the whosoever? The whosoever are you and I. Those who God has given the ability to believe. To put our trust in. And he teaches us every day how to do that more and more, doesn't he? Amen. Isn't that what our trials are for? Isn't that the sorrows that we go through? I was asked earlier this week, you know, why do we have to suffer much? Why do we have to suffer this way? If God be for us, why, why do we have to suffer? Because it pleased God was my answer. It pleased Him that we should suffer for a little while, that we would spend eternity praising Him for His mercy and grace for us. I know it's not easy. Some of us have great trials. Lost loved ones. Disputes in the families. Many things become trials to those who walk with God. Our biggest trial is our own pride, is it not? Yeah. Our own flesh within us. Yeah. When I compare the troubles within me to the troubles I have and those around me in the world, the troubles within me stand out more than anything. This is the humbleness that God brings us to. I don't care who you are. No one turns to humbleness on their own desire. Oh, some think they do. Some think that, oh, just if I be a meek little person and quiet and never talk and, and, and I just... You know, I don't speak out, and I do this, and I do that. I can be humble. No. Humbling is God showing you and I what we are. Humbling is that man who sat in the corner, that, that, that uh, um, the beggar. No, he was a, you know, he was a beggar. What was he? Tax collector. <laughs> I know that Cheryl's sitting there screaming at her computer right now, John, John! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The man in the corner crying out, he was humbled by God. If left to himself, if left to ourselves, we would be like the proud Pharisee. We would be like the proud Pharisee standing there in the middle of the temple going, thank you, Lord, for not making me this way. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him over there. Being humble is that man over there who God has shown him what he is. Unworthy. Undeserving. Nothing but a worm. Sinful worm. Are you calling my grandmother a worm, John? I'm calling every person with two legs that's ever walked this earth outside of Christ Jesus himself is exactly what we are. Humble. We need a perfect righteousness whereby we are sanctified and justified. It is brought to us through faith. By grace through faith. We must be one with Him and this union is accomplished through faith. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Just the other side of Ephesians. 
Look at verse 9. This union of Christ must be accomplished through faith. Look at verse 9 of, of, of uh, Philippians chapter 3. And be found in him. What does that say? Be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, Amen. that righteousness which is of God by faith. Now one more, if you would, go back to Romans. This time look over chapter 4, just a page away from where we are in our text. Look at verses 20 through 24. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Don't you wish you had the strength of Abraham, the strong faith of Abraham? Folks, you know we do. Do you know we do? Abraham's faith is exactly like you and I, yours and mine is. It's faith in him. It's faith in knowing that he is God. And that because he's God, everything he's promised will come true. That's what Abraham's faith was. He was able to take his son up onto that mountain under the assumption that he was going to sacrifice his son because God had promised him a nation and he believed God. Whosoever believeth. <laughs> See how that works out? He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in the faith giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, because he believed God, because the belief, the gift that God gave him, it was imputed to him for righteousness. It was counted to him for righteousness. Verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone, no, that it was imputed to him, but for us also, as it says in verse 24, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. You see how, you see how it wipes out the, the works of the law? You see how it stops us in our tracks from trying to earn our way with God? You see, how, you see how it puts us... Oh, folks, I'm telling you, it's going to be difficult for me to stop right now and leave this for, for the next message. But I'm telling you, this is what the next message is all about. Good. What is needful to you and I? Good. A rest. A rest. Peace. Yesterday, a lady came to the church and she said, there's a girl named Sue down the road who has a flat tire on her bicycle. We're looking for a car to help Sue out. She, she's got money to buy a car. She just didn't have thousands of dollars. She's only got three. And so now, while she doesn't have a car, she's riding her bike. She goes, there's a lady down the street who looks like she's been in distress. She needs rest. She needs rest. I need rest. My tires are flat. I've been walking for miles. Forty years of walking. And the Lord comes to us in that day. Does He not? Does He not come to us and say, Rest in me. 
Quit trying to establish your own righteousness. Mine is perfect. And because I've gone to the cross and shed my blood for you, my righteousness is yours. Let's close real quick. If you would look at verses 23 through 26. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified, justified freely by His grace. Through what? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be. And here's the title of my my message or our study this morning. Propitiation. You know, I've always understood that as it was just a payment. It just meant that the payment was done. It, he has set himself as our payment. You know, that is what it is, but it's not just that. Listen to these words from the uh, Young's Dictionary. <laughs> this blessed my heart. I hope it does yours. The word propitiation signifies the mercy seat. It's a derivative, a derivative of, of a word, and I, and I couldn't, I can't pronounce it. It's Greek, but it's an expiratory. In other words, a place or a thing that is consequently an atoning victim. What do you mean, an atoning victim? What would be an atoning victim? The mercy seat. What was the mercy seat a picture of? Christ. Our Lord and the Savior, Christ Jesus, was it not? Amen. Where was the blood sprinkled? It was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Right there in the holiest of holies. It's Jesus Christ. He's our propitiation. He's our mercy seat. Go back and read that again with me. Of whom God hath set forth to be a mercy seat through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now the mercy seat, which was a type of Christ, is the propitiation to God for sins. He has reconciled us unto Himself by the obedience and the sacrifice of His sons. The sins that are past means that God's pardon, God has pardoned the sins of all believers, even those under the Old Testament, in the dispensation of the atonement of Christ, and they were persuaded of the promises in Christ, and they embraced them by faith, just as you and I do. We look upon what God has done. They looked upon what God would do. And it was the same thing. The promise of God in sending His Son to be our propitiation. It's all summed up right there in verse 26. He is just and also the justifier. He was made sin for us. God punished His Son as though the sins were His. Therefore, His righteousness is made to be ours. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. This morning, folks, I hope you're considering the just. 
Jesus Christ our Lord and how he gave himself for the unjust you and I. Amen.